straight tune to uh, 1865 on the 706. Oh, that should be uh, interesting anyway, so uh, DL will be, uh, be there, so uh, yeah, that should be interesting for you, Dave, uh, field testing. Yes, I do it every now and then to see how things have changed and stuff. Are you doing a polar plot for your tenors, Dave? The record's going back quite a while. Do yeah, I do a similar thing, but what I did, I fed my C-Gen uh, into my... Uh, 160 meter tenors, yeah. and they went for a drive. I've got one radio here I've had for about 20 years. Did calibrate it with a field strength meter once. Go around and look at the, uh, the S meter on yeah, it. Yeah, I've got an LSG 11 and a rent uh, tone, and a, so I tuned the 160 meter antenna, went for a drive, and um, you know, I could hear it as far as Bayswater, uh, well, about three or four miles. So that's pretty the good. LSG 11. Sorry? The LSG 11. Put out a fair bit if you can hear it that way. That's yeah, I was about to say. Oh, no, there's not much, not much, uh, much power there. I mean, I can put a, a, a power meter and a small one and uh, one register. Aren't you, you have a deceptively tall antenna there, uh, Lionel. Oh, yeah, so uh, I thought it was quite interesting to uh, do a field test. I can uh, hear it um, as far as, you know, where I am at one turner. I can hear it as far as uh, Bose Water and as far as. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, not a wadding, um, and I can still hear the, uh, you know, hear the tone, so, uh, that's what I've used for, uh, field testing. Years ago, Dan, the DC man in corner of Glenfrey Road and Riverstyle Road, used to be able to work CW to the branch and occasionally phone if the band conditions were quiet enough on 160. With an LSG 11, that's the first time I've heard anybody using one since then. That's about 1971. Well, my first contact, I worked the branch on the uh, local oscillator of a radio and uh, <laughs> talked to him. I've got a recording of it, actually. He, he I think it was oh, someone else from the shack as well. And I, Probably um, Michael Park in those days. Could have been. Uh, he was using a um, local oscillator and modulated with a tape recorder and a back-to-front uh, Transformer loaded into telephone lines. Loaded into the telephone line. Yes, that's right. Three B O N. I said I was. The other, oh, I see that sort of transmission. Yeah, the other guy in the shack. He said, "Oh yes, uh, you're you're using a uh, local oscillator from superheterodyne receiver and loading into telephone lines." So it sounded so the way he, he <laughs> sort of almost in disbelief that that was happening. <laughs> but it worked quite well. Imagine him raising one eyebrow and lowering the other one. I bypassed there's a plate resistor to the you know, to drop the uh, the voltage on the oscillator to 150 volts. So I shorted that out, so I got the full HT onto the uh, onto the oscillator valve. It was going all red. No, it increased the output. Probably increased the power from you know 50 milliwatts to 75 or something. Didn't do all that much. Then I messed around with tuning it up and things like that. But uh, yeah, that was my first. Uh, I was really amazed when I could actually. I heard them on, and they said they were listening. That I'll try this. And I was really, really, I can imagine I was about 17 or something, sitting up in my room, and I thought, wow, that my first contact, I've actually contacted someone over the... Brindy Road? Yes, Brindy Road. How strong were you? Reasonably strong, reasonably strong. I had a friend in, in St Kilda. He got a set like that too. We were able to communicate quite well and play music to each other. The strength was quite strong, quite good. Five and nine sort of strength. Just from uh, local oscillators. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, I knew a friend, um, or oh, yeah, some time ago.
long ago. You know, the uh, TV cameras you get uh, RF outputs, say, on Channel 3. Oh, yes. Uh, he was in um, Ivanhoe, and he was received in... Um, uh, he, well, what, what, what he basically did, he fed his uh, TV uh, camera into a TV uh, yes. antenna, and he had a test pattern called Pirate TV on Channel 3, which was received in Bourbon. Uh, so how far away was that? Oh, about... Um, Miles. Gee, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, good old analog oh, TV. I, 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 can you hear me at the moment? Yes. Oh, I've, I've just put it onto the shack audio rather than using the, the little internal mic. And, uh, uh, he had a picture of it. Uh, Same with the picture. It was, uh, it was just about a nice re, uh, picture that uh, pirate TV. Well, that would be certainly worthy of a breach of the Broadcasting and Television Act. Well, if you had a decent antenna it loaded properly, it would be. Uh, it could work quite well. Oh, yeah. speak to him briefly on two metres a few weeks ago and he said he was uh, some uh, special system that was working exceptionally well. Yes, well that's, uh, that's, that's right. He, would, he was connecting via the internet to my radio here. In fact, I'm connecting via internet to my radio here. Um, the radio is in the garage and I'm in the comfort of the house. Why do people do things so simple where to hold a mic connected to a radio and talk? It's so much better to have it complex via the internet going probably around the world ten times back to your radio via the internet because that, you know, it's, it's much better, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is so much easier and uh, yeah, exactly, I could run a long mic cord, but uh, how silly. I know because then all you're, ty- all you're using is a couple of ten metres of shielded cable whereas this way you are using infrastructure probably worth billions of dollars. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, this way you don't even need shielded cable. You just need a twisted pair. You probably even go via satellite too. Yep, twisted pair is pretty good, isn't it? That um, Cat5 cable, I suppose it'll have even better cable soon. Uh, if someone said it could send 10 megabits down a, a twisted pair a few years back, you'd say you're, you're, you're laughing. But, um, I think that uh, 
telecom at one stage only uh, guarantee um, no more than 2,400 um, board or something. That's right, yeah. Some yeah. things have changed in a very short span of years. Yeah, you can, you can force all this stuff down a telephone line. Just imagine all the amount of traffic now going back and forth along, you know, the twisted, uh, you know, like apart from the normal telephone, you know, conversation, you know, you got all these uh, yeah. pictures and uh, data and... Um, yeah, upload, uploading yeah. and uh, you know uh, all happening uh, by uh, yeah the, basically by the twisted uh, by the twisted pair yeah and the... Uh, all the yeah you know, all the traffic that's going through uh, all the you know the exchanges you know, all around the world all, uh, all the eighty year old wire I think it's uh, it's going to be bypassed soon but uh, <laughs> it certainly had an amazing um, rec- Resurgence, I guess. The old couple. They've tried to suck as much out of it as they can. It was meant to have, you know, voice carbon, carbon microphone quality voice signals going through it, and some dial pulses. Carbon microphone signals only 25 years ago. When you think about it. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. No, yeah, interesting. You know, people doing internet banking and all sorts of, yeah. Oh, you know. Mind-boggling. When you listen to talkback radio, you very well you hardly ever hear anyone on the carbon mic. You listen to old programs recorded you know, years ago to the Kenworthy and that, and everyone's on a carbon mic with that carbon mic sound. Taking on invader role. Well, uh, it, it's just thanks for calling. Hello there. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Doctor Alex, um, I was wondering. Thanks, Sharon. All the best. Bye. Good evening. Mr. Kenworthy. Yes. Oh, this is Charlie Tuttle from uh, South Morang. I, um, I I haven't heard you. Have I met you before, Charlie? Uh, yes, I'm, I think about this time last year, as a matter of fact. Oh, yes. But um, I think your program is very interesting in the... Uh... Um, well, um, I think that uh, he's been a favourite of many people. Oh, this is for sure. What makes you call, Charlie? I mean, uh, call. The main reason I've, I've bothered to call today is... Look, uh, look, fella, if... Um, sorry, we've... Uh, Seem to have struck a bit of trouble there. Hello there. It's you. Good evening, Ellie. Yes, how are you? Fine, thank you. That's good. But now now people on the phone often sound better than the announcer. Oh, yeah. Oh, talk about radio. Uh, I know what they were doing at 3A, 3A uh, or Magic uh, 1278 or any tea time, but uh, they had two programs running at once on the... Uh, on, and it was, went like that for about 20 minutes, you know, you... They had uh, the music program, and then you had a sort of like a talkback program, which I think must have um, <coughs> uh, must have originated from uh, from the 3AW. And uh. on 12:70 for about 20 minutes, uh, you heard music, and you had you, basically they had two programs uh, going at once. So someone must have made a mess up in the switch room. And uh, the thing is, it went like that for nearly half an hour. No that quality. That probably indicates control. how many people were listening assiduously to that station. That's right. They had to put in a fault error report. Oh, that's right. I mean, engineer. Um, if I was uh, near a phone, I probably could have rang them up, but uh, obviously they're not uh, monitoring themselves. Yes, probably not. Once the, the announcers used to always listen off air, but now they, they don't bother anymore. At 3LO, the, the, the monitoring switch, if it was on anything, if the main loudspeaker was on anything but off air, a light used to flash on and off to indicate it, often... It, it sounds as if if the engineer would have been monitoring it, they would have doubled their listenership. Yes, the off-normal monitoring light. I mean, Eastern um, FM um, used to hear... Uh, yeah, 
that talk to you. I put a record on. I forget to turn off, um, turn off the mic, and uh, yeah. as the record is going, you hear them talking uh, in the background. Um, I've heard them, you know, when the record uh, finished, so I forget to, to uh, take the needle off or something, and as the announcer is talking, you hear, Colin, Colin, you know, as the, yeah, right. the uh, record's going around. Very, very few radio stations now have vinyl in their studios, unfortunately. Oh, Don't yeah, they? but uh, those days, uh, when, when that happened, they were still using records. Yeah, all I have is a boredom screen. I just pump, poke, poke things at it. Kind of takes a lot of the manual skill out of it, doesn't it? Well, the main reason I got in radio is so I could learn DJ skills with uh, queuing up records and would, stuff like would. that. Yeah, and you could queue up a record and put it exactly on the bit of the track you wanted and fade it up and down. And if you wanted to change the time, you just fade it down a bit in, well, you just wait for an impromptune moment and, and flick it across and do a jump like a like a, a remix and just remix the record while it's playing. The only trouble is you can't back-cue Autophon. Well, the radio stations still have their, uh, uh, their storage or library of the uh, vinyl records, or they...? Uh, I think some do. Um, the ABC has actually diced their record library. It used to be in um, Marland House, from memory. Uh, no, they've still got the record library at Southbank. Um, they did get rid of a lot of the... About 20 years ago, they got rid of... If they, if they had double copies of records, or if they had a mono and a stereo copy, they got rid of the mono copy. Uh, and they've got still quite a, a large library there. OK. They used to have a very good collection of historical stuff on LP and all that sort of stuff back in 19... Yeah. But I, I, I assumed that they'd thrown it all out. Oh, no, they didn't throw it out. You can back you autophons. It's nothing. nothing. Well, they, they can back you those things. Yep, those old black autophons and the the more modern ones, yeah. They... I thought they had... How would, you, uh, how would you be able to run a radio station if you couldn't back you? Um, very good question. Very good question. But I would have thought that autophons were a little bit frail for that. Well, they were designed for broadcast use. Um, you go whoop, 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 and, and back you them, yeah. Um, I suppose there are SL15 or something they used to use? Yeah, the fairly... I think the ones the ABC used were fairly stiff, if you'll pardon the expression, in the cantilever. They had a fairly low compliance. Um, but I think they went over to the Stanton 500 series at some stage. Oh, they did. They, as soon as Stantons became available, they sort of became the, the, the de facto standard, although... Not quite as good, I always thought. They weren't as good as a moving coil. Not as quite as fi, but they were much cheaper... And if the needle get, did get wrecked, you just uh, put a replacement in worth about ten dollars, rather than yeah. Yeah, in, instead of having to um, send it to Tasmania to get those guys to fix it. And um, it in Tasmania? Yes, there was um, two brothers in Tasmania who used to fix up autophon cartridges. All right. When I first was involved with the ABC in '75, they used to tell me that they'd sent the autophons back to. Switzerland or something? Fifteen years ago, it was all in the papers. This, they lived in a remote farm somewhere and they um, they did a committed suicide both together or something. So what? Uh, what, because some... people gave up vinyl or something? No, no, I don't think so. It was still when vinyl was, was quite quite popular. If you look, it'd be interesting to look up, I forget the name of the brothers, but they're quite um, well known in the audio field. It's true. And, and they, uh, they mutual suicide? Yes. You look... Um, 
Yeah, do a, a Google search or some sort of search. It was all in the papers um, a few years back, or probably 20 years back. I remember holy reading it. Holy moly, there must be a story there. It was a major story, and people had to uh, then work out, you know, send, the, send their Autofon somewhere else. The interesting thing is that unlike most of the other cartridge companies, Autofon are still in business and still producing Starlight, and, and cartridges indeed. Yeah, that's right. There still seems to be a market for them, which is uh, rather strange, but I guess there's enough records around to, uh, to warrant it. Look, the trouble is if you want something to reproduce an LP that's irreplaceable and audio not obtainable in any other way, really, if you're remastering from LP, the Autophon, well, moving coil cartridges anyway are the way to go, as the branch always used to say. Um, so really there's an awful lot of audio on vinyl that never found its way to CD commercially and that's where those things come into their own, really. Oh, yes, they'll be produced for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I've, if I just listen, I use a Stanton, but if I'm going to do dubbings, I uh, I stick on the old SL15 or something. Yeah, it's interesting. You, there's a young generation of audio people, I notice looking at YouTube clips particularly, who seem to think that there's a somehow vinyl and valves, uh, valve audio amplifiers are superior to solid state and digital um, I mean to me it has a lot more to do with belief and with the amount of money people want to spend and the assumption that a greater amount of money produces a better sound and I reckon a lot of the people that have this mystique with valve audio um, have never actually measured what they're doing um, <laughs> don't really realise that the valve amplifier can't give you the, um, the damping factor particularly with speakers that a decently designed, and I emphasise decently designed, solid-state amp can. I mean, when people come to me saying, oh, doesn't the valve amplifier sound terrific? I always say, well, yes, but how good would an audio amplifier with transistors or FET sound if you spent the same amount of money on it? Um, I mean, you know, getting rid of the output transformer is also a major factor of improving the audio, at least in making, what do they say, lacking in coloration? Um, I think that's an important point. If people want to hear the valve sound, well, they can hear it. They can get a valve amplifier and listen to it. Yes, um, if they want to spend another $2,000 to do something that you could do with transistors for 25 bucks, that's fine. Well, I mean, build, I've, got, I've got a store here of, um, of 2A3 valves and all that sort of stuff and all those uh, 42s. 2A3 were yep. tri so, a triad from pre-war. Yep, and they're worth big bucks now if you look at them on eBay. So that's my little retirement nest egg is my box of, of 2A3s. But if I could build it, I've got some transformers, I could build a lamp and it wouldn't be costing me $2,000. It can build a good audio amp with just six V6s or something like that. Oh, you've got uh, EL34. Sorry, sorry, I've just cut in there. Um, Chris, I was just going to say, um, and, and, and others there, Dave as well, I was just going to say I've just finished uh, building a uh, valve amplifier um, uh, four 6BQ5s and uh, and a pair of uh, 12AX7s but that's for a guitar and um, the experts tell me that uh, that uh, if you've got a guitar and I don't play the guitar but my son does that's where the that's where the difference really is well if you if you're producing that sound with the intention of intentionally creating that particular type of audio distortion um, as a means of producing the sound of a musical instrument, fine, but if you're trying to reproduce audio 
uh, with the minimum coloration, the minimum distortion, the maximum of um, loudspeaker damping and all the rest of it, I, I really think that there's no substitute for a really well-designed solid-state amplifier. Interestingly, you can get a solid-state amplifier to sound like a valve amplifier by putting an appropriate transfer characteristic in it, but you can't get a valve amplifier to sound like a transistor amplifier. So I remember when I was uh, testing it out, I put an audio oscillator into it and I wound it up and I was looking at the output across my scope and, uh, and instead of sort of squaring out, it just started to get rounded edges and uh, I'm assuming that's, uh, that's what people are looking for, but my son loves it. He says it just sounds so much different to, uh, to a solid-state amp and he's had several of them. So. Um, I, I think that is the only time it was different, but it did finish up costing me a lot of money. I mean, it's uh, 30 watts out, and it's uh, it probably cost me um, three or four hundred dollars to get the valves, the transformers, um, and uh, and uh, output transformers, all the necessary bits. It, it, it was it wasn't cheap, mind you. I did also mount it on a nice big thick. Um, double-sided uh, printed circuit board which I had made in China for it. it's about uh, three millimeters thick so that the valve sockets could uh, dissipate the um, the heat through the uh, through the copper of the board etc oh yeah oh, it sounds like quite a nice unit and you know as long as there's um, guitar electric guitar players I think there'll be valve amps around that's true mm. um, the interesting thing about those <coughs> valve amps is that uh, there are some places about that are charging three and four thousand dollars for things like that basically the just a standard circuit with some nice nickel plated chassis and a few perspex bits stuck on from what i can see of them you could build an amplifier just stick some valves in there and have the heaters lit up and just stick a get a ten dollar 20 watt or 50 watt uh, per channel i see <laughs> yeah stick it in there and i think people would think this is so hi-fi, this is fantastic. In fact, I'd like to do a double-blind test, have two amplifiers, give people a valve amp with a transistor, a transistor amp, you know, a cheap um, module in there, and see if they can tell a difference. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. A lot of it, particularly in regard to reproducing sound accurately, is, is to do much more to do with hype and, um, hype and belief, uh, and to some extent exclusivity, because, you know, if you present somebody with something that not many other people have, they assume it's better. Um, but I, look, I, I had my full, my fill of valves in the 60s and 70s. I went through all the problems of matched output stages, of low emission, of heater to cathode leakage, of heater to cathode hum, poor feedback circuits, feedback circuits not functioning as they should, poor output transformers. There are just so many factors where you can stuff up with a valve amplifier. Yeah, although uh, Type 3 amps or whatever those are with the ultralinear, it'd be interesting to get some audio files uh, listening to one of those and a high-quality uh, solid-state amplifier and just see... just going to have to dash for a moment. I yeah. think I hear a little scream from the bedroom. Oh, Maybe Prue's seen a moth or a spider or something. Oh, dear. I'll wrap my hand in toilet paper and punch the spider's light okay. out. Okay, well, yeah, there's a lot of BS written about amplifiers, but the, the good valve amplifiers are very good. And if you want that sort of quality... Oops. Sorry, sorry. Whenever I hit transmit, I stop hearing receive again because uh, it, uh, it wipes the other receiver out. But uh, yes, the interesting thing is that there there is no uh, on the valve amplifier I made. There's no linearity uh, compensation at all in terms of the uh, 
of the, um, you know, I guess guitar players are looking for that distorted output. But I think your uh, comment, Dave, about the uh, uh, the um, the uh, the blind test is, uh, is 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 well said. Um, funny funny anecdote. Just hearing you talking about the early days of broadcasting, many many years ago. Um, in fact, it was in the 1980s. Numbers. I spent a year uh, doing some work for um, in the broadcasting world myself at uh, 6GE in Geraldton. And I still remember to this day one of the funniest things that Peter Bassett Scarf and I ever did. I don't think Peter ever had his hand license, I can't remember. Was uh, to, on a hot night, we stuck the, uh, the temperature gauge that was uh, in, in the, you know, Geraldton's a country town of 25,000 people. We took the temperature gauge and stuck it in a, in a bucket of ice so that the uh, breakfast announcer, Ivo Lonsdale, would, uh, would announce uh, a, a, an, erroneous, uh, an erroneous thing, which he did quite a number of times until he realised what he was doing. I think he did a check. He probably got in there sweating and uh, wondered why the temperature was so low. Uh, 6GE Geraldton, eh? Yeah, it would have been uh, a fun place. Yeah. Quite the coming place now. I believe that a lot of people are retiring there. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to think of a station manager's name, um, but I, I I got some work there because I was persistent. And the guy said no. He said no. I can't give you any work. Can't give you any work. You don't have any on-air experience. You don't have. I said, but I've just finished my uh, course at Melbourne School of Radio. I, I I've got experience. I don't have any experience, but I've done the course. And uh, eventually, he gave me um, some some in-house voiceover work, but uh, I was never I never allowed on air, unfortunately, live. Oh, that's a pity. You might have become another another John Laws. That... No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so you almost... but I did manage to, uh, and and this is where Mike and I hooked up with each other. We did build a Hutt River um, Broadcasting Services uh, transmitter which was uh, on uh, 1,000 kilohertz. Well, we didn't follow the, uh, the 9 kilohertz band plan back in those days, but uh, Michael came over and told us all about how to drink a flagon of wine, which we did, and then we built a 100-foot tower uh, supported by a, uh, an empty flagon of wine and uh, applied all of the you know, well-tried-and-proven 160-metre principles to a broadcast transmitter, and, and you know, it actually worked. Oh. They have a royal opening ceremony by Prince Leonard and Princess Shirley. Is that is that station still running? Well, no, no, it's not. Uh, I think Prince Leonard's still alive, but as far as I can, uh, as far as I'm aware, the antenna is actually still standing. No, it's not. I was there. Uh... Smitter is still sitting in the shearing shed. So, uh, if someone wants a um, a 300 watt <laughs> plate modulated. Uh, transmitter sort of X. Uh, it was an old uh, uh, NDB beacon. It's uh, and the, and they're prepared to go through two automatic transmissions to get it back to Melbourne, which which is what Michael went through to get it over there. It's it's still sitting there. I'll give you an update. Uh, the, there's no tenors there. I didn't know about the uh, the meters uh, in, in the shed. Uh, I was there uh, just over 12 months ago. Exactly the same uh, as it was when you were here, or when you were there, um, uh, Ralph. Uh, they try to uh, get the H5 prefix, but uh, they uh, didn't succeed. And I was talking to one of the sons, 
I think it was Prince Wayne, um, when the old man uh, eventually tattled, they got big plans for the uh, uh, for the province for the Sunzo. Anyway, uh, you can go ahead. Oh, that's uh, that's quite interesting. I, I didn't know you'd been over there recently, Lionel. That's excellent. I wonder, because um, up at uh, Wayne's place, he lives a little bit further up the hill. We built a Laport rhombic made out of railway lines. Railway lines concreted into the ground. It was a huge structure. It was the biggest thing I've ever been involved in. It took us weeks of work. But there are um, uh, there's a Laport rhombic up there on 100 megahertz. That was the FM transmitter. We went simulcast, you see. We were allowed to. Oh, uh, but didn't the Silvers, uh, didn't they get upset about the AM misses, but they didn't worry too much about the FM misses? No, no, other way round. They were very upset about the AM misses, but not not so much the... Uh, sorry, uh, the, uh, upset about the FM, because the FM transmitter was, or the antenna, was pointing straight into Geraldton, and it was a strong signal. Only 30 watts out, but uh, with the gain that the antenna had, it was um, a very, very strong signal in Geraldton. Geraldton didn't have FM in uh, 1980, uh, when was it, 1982. Mumbles. So that's what caused them to come and um, shut it down. But they didn't worry too much about the AM. It's, it's, as far as I'm aware, the transmitter's still sitting in the uh, in the shearing shed. Okay. Oh, it's interesting here yeah, because uh, they try to... Um, they actually... Uh, trying to form a radio, an amateur radio society, uh, Royal Amateur Radio uh, Society, RARS. They had some clown from Queensland that was in charge of it. And uh, actually I was talking to Prince uh, Leonard about it, about the amateur radio and, you know, and the ways about it. So uh, Prince might actually uh, ring me up sometime and, uh, you know, get some advice or how to go about it. Because uh, he was trying for the... Uh, to try get a an ITU uh, prefix, prefix, and uh, one that's vacant at the moment is uh, Hotel Five. So, uh, and uh, but uh, but the ITU uh, or I or the or was it the amateur uh, version of it uh, won't recognise it because it uh, has not been the province has not been recognised by the uh, the Commonwealth uh, of Australia. So, uh, as far as uh, people are concerned, it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's a wheat farm. Well, basically, it still is. But uh, I mean, since 19, when you were there in 1980, uh, it's not much different now. <coughs> uh, the only uh, addition is uh, it's just a small class, or no, not a class, but a tin uh, pyramid. That's the only thing. You know, still just got the uh, the souvenir shop, uh, the the uh, post office. Um, you know, in the uh, chapel, and exactly the exactly as the same as uh, when you were there in 1980. In Mumbles. I was there um, about 18, oh, yeah, about 12 months ago, actually, about oh, 18 months ago. Go ahead, uh, Ralph. Yeah, sorry, just before I answer that, uh, Dave had a, a question, I think. How far is it from Geraldton? I would have said 100 kilometres. 120 kilometres or so. Oh, okay. Yeah, about that. Quite it's a, a fa fair distance, yeah. It's pretty close to... Um, it's about 30 kilometres from uh, Northampton. Yeah, that's right. Northampton's the post office where Princess Shirley posts all the, uh, all the, uh, all the mail. <laughs> Don't tell the local punters that. But when you post your letter with a... <laughs> with a this is how it used to be back then. You, <laughs> you post the letters in the, uh, in the Hutt River... Uh, letterbox with your Australian stamp 
uh, sorry, with your Hutt River stamp, uh, she would grab them afterwards and take them down to Northampton Post Office and post them and pay the postage down there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, those were the days. They were fantastic times. I still think very fondly back of those uh, of those days. In fact, the funniest thing was um, uh, Peter and I were staying at the uh, Geraldton Motor Inn, uh, which was fairly high up in Geraldton. We were staying there. We had a caravan. We normally lived in the caravan, which was just near um, um, our, um, our premises at Durlacker Street, Geraldton. Phone 216121. Um, still remember the phone number. And... Uh, and the um, uh, we didn't realise when we were staying at this motor in one night that um, in the room next door to us were the uh, members of the radio branch <laughs> had come up to monitor the uh, the signal as well. <laughs> we went out to our car and thought, you know, got all the receivers and everything in it to monitor the transmissions, and uh, we could remotely key up the transmitter. Um, via the telephone, it was all very uh, very high tech back then and uh, and then we noticed all these uh, PMG cars and Z cars and uh, not PMG you know, Commonwealth cars with lots of antennas on them and um, <laughs> we started <laughs> listening with a glass up to the wall to see if we could hear what was being said on the uh, on the other side of the wall, well, at least that's what worked in movies but it didn't really work for us unfortunately but all the places the two opposing sides could could stay, we were at next door to each other in this uh, in this one hotel. Small. That's quite an amazing story. It'd make a good comedy film, if the truth be known. Actually, once uh, uh, when they were trying to get the H5 prefix, they were they were thinking, or the uh, prince wanted to have a short wave for uh, no service as well. Yeah, well, I can remember back in the 80s we got a phone call from. Um, oh, we, we used to get a lot of um, uh, audition tapes sent to us. We had quite a number of audition tapes. But uh, we got a phone call once from World Vision, I think it was, uh, wanting to establish a, a, a shortwave radio service to, um, to, to go out to, uh, to Asia. And the Australian government had said no, but uh, the Hutt River government... That's it. By all means, <laughs> knock yourself out. Come and build transmitters and aerials and things. Whatever you want, it's uh, it's available to you. Um, but they never did. And we think it was uh, it was we think it was a hoax. We think actually it was the um, it was the radio branch ringing up, checking us out. Oh, I see. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, well, that's it's uh, interesting because they've been uh, they succeeded. Uh, Oh, back in 1971, so uh, they've been around for quite a while, and because um, now they've got uh, you know, embassies and embassies and uh, representatives uh, in Germany, uh, Florida, and uh, actually uh, some of the African countries, some countries uh, voted uh, for the Hutt River province to be uh, uh, admitted as a member of the United Nations, but. Uh, they got voted out, uh, say no, especially by, uh, yeah, by Australia, because um, uh, as far as the Canberra is con- uh, concerned, uh, uh, the Hubbard Province is a bit of an embarrassment to them. Oh, what a shame! 
would have been that would have been terrific. Yes, I, I think um, I've still got my book here called um, The Man, and uh, I proudly have in here my um, uh, my diplomatic passport because I was a member of the Hutt River Province Diplomatic Corps, so I've kept my diplomatic corps badge. I've never. I've never tried to claim diplomatic immunity because I just don't think that would that would ever work. No, it could be uh, interesting. Of course, they got their own passports and all that, uh, <coughs> but that won't be recognised by uh, Australian authorities. So, but apparently, some countries will uh, accept to allow you in uh, with the Hub River Province uh, passport. But if you want uh, the one that you get back into Australia, you still have to have your Australian passport. Oh, is that right? I don't know where my passport is. I did have one. I don't know. It, it's long since expired now, of course. But uh, that would be quite a uh, fun thing to try at some stage. All right. Well, guys, I'm sorry. I have butt into your conversation. I do apologise. Oh, that's good. Remain listening for a little while longer. I know. Oh, it's fine. It's always interesting to have uh, someone a bit different uh, come on. Oh, yeah. It's also an uh, interesting you know, you know, subject. Actually, I forgot to bring him, uh, take my passport when I went there. I would have liked to get a Harbour River Province uh, stamp in it. But, um, yeah, that would be, uh, you know, funny. It'd be interesting to have a, to get a Harbour River Province uh, uh, passport, and uh, next time I go overseas, I'll flash it, see if that will get me in. If not, I'll, I'll just uh, flash the Australian passport. But I do know, Ralph, you'd be interested in this, um, the people who are deemed citizens of the Harbour River Province, i.e. they don't pay any Australian taxes, um, they are not covered by uh, Medicare or, or anything like that. So uh, if, you, if you're a citizen and you live at the Hubbard Province and you get sick, uh, you will have to pay the full medical cost or the, well, Prince Leonard might have to uh, you know, pay all your medical <laughs>
memorabilia that, uh, or merchandise material that uh, that people would buy because he would get, uh, I think it was like a thousand visitors a week there on buses. Uh, or maybe that's maybe that's a bit much. But it wouldn't have been a thousand, but it was in the hundreds. Many hundreds of visitors every week would come through there because it was on the um, wildflower wildflower run bus run up to Calvary. So uh, that's what we did. Peter's parents paid for the whole construction of everything and the purchase of all the equipment. The uh, um, Mike, Mike, myself. I think uh, you might have been involved in it too, Lionel, because we built it up at Mike's place when he was in Surrey Hills. We built the transmitter out of the old Ripley um, Nav Beacon, and um, I think Dean Sharples might have been involved in it as well. I can't remember Dean's call sign. Anyhow, put the whole thing in. Two two auto transmissions later, and the thing was installed. A uh, couple of cue masters, which we acquired, some turntables, and uh, I think we built our own uh, console. Can't remember. Can't remember. Or did we buy one? Can't remember. But anyhow, the thing worked and uh, went to air and kept uh, plenty of farmers entertained uh, during the wee small hours of the morning. It couldn't have been the Ripley beacon, because that's the one I've got here. It's still got it's got the Ripley tone wheel in it. It goes, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, uh, whatever is Ripley, I forget. CW's <laughs> not too good, but it has got the Ripley tone wheel, and it came from Ripley. Actually, I've got some interesting. Uh, this will interest uh, you, uh, uh, Ralph. <coughs> but I had a long chat. Oh, by the way, Ralph, if you've got uh, YouTube, you uh, do search on uh, my call sign. I do have a footage, a video footage of uh, that River Province, and when I was there, oh yes, it was damn hot, about forty degrees every day uh, when I was there. Uh, it was it was hot, dusty, windy, and uh, yeah, oh, it wasn't it wasn't pleasant, that's for sure. Uh, but I was talking when I had a long chat to uh, uh, Prince uh, Prince uh, uh, Wayne uh, when the old man Tuttles, which uh, you know is like he's no spring chicken now, they got really big plans and had uh, approached by other people. What their flag is, 20, about 29 square miles, about the size of uh, Hong Kong. It's larger than Hong Kong, but only to, you know, the Hong Kong island part, you know, not the new territories. Uh, it's uh, larger than some of the uh, smaller, like, it's be smaller, they'd be bigger than uh, Liechtenstein. Um, yeah, okay, just stand by. Now, the big plans is an international airport. Uh, school, university, coronation, and about 20,000 uh, houses. They've got about 15,000 uh, Hutt River Province uh, 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 citizens, but they're not all at the uh, at the province. <coughs> Why do they have to worry, wait till the uh, the old band goes? Oh, because he runs the show. Oh, okay. I'll be looking. He must get poison in his his coffee or something. You better be careful.
and one became Hunt River's transmitter. They are about, uh, I don't know, the size of a wardrobe they have. They were made by Consolidated Electronics. They had a, a door on each side, a row of buttons and dials and things, you know, current measured in amps, aerial current, all this sort of nice stuff built in. We took the um, output tube. I remember it had 807 as the uh, in the audio amplifier and in the uh, maybe even in the uh, driver stages as well. And um, does, this, does this sound like the same trans? Yep. Well, uh, one I'm using right now, speaking on right now, is um, is one of those Commonwealth Electronics, and it's got uh, maybe a bit different. It's got uh, QB 3300s as the modulators. Two of those. And it's got uh, QB3300 in the output. I think there was an 807 uh, driving the uh, QB3300. So basically, yeah, it's been converted to 160 metres. It did come from ham radio as well. So they must have had a whole lot of them. Unless Ripley had, it might have been the main and standby they got rid of and, and got newer stuff. So uh, but it's definitely Ripley. So, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's most interesting, isn't it? Question. That one on 27 mixed, was it happen to be... Uh was it used for a particular uh, big show that uh, happened in the uh, in the seventies? I think you know what I'm talking about. Well, indeed, it was not. Indeed, it was not. The uh, the um, it, it does sound like a very similar device. The the original version had a um, that we bought had a 125 tube in it, a four bar 125 or something. And interestingly enough, here's the really curious thing. You mentioned John Watkins before and uh, the Gippsland Gate Radio Club. Well, in fact, the original one was converted to 27 megs by John and myself. <laughs> it was put on, well, on 27 point uh, something. And uh, it, uh, it, it only ever, we never changed the final tube, but obviously we had to do a lot of rewinding of the uh, output stage, of rewiring of the output stage to take it up in frequency so far. The, um, the one we put on the broadcast band was really easy, because I think it started off like two or 300 kilohertz or something other, so it was much easier to take that up a little bit to the broadcast band. But we put a, and I, I'm sorry for my... Uh, it was a something 250, a four, I'm thinking a 4 bar 250. Was it originally a 4 bar 125? A 4 bar 125 is what I'm thinking about. Do these numbers ring a bell to anyone? Yeah, the, the, the 4 bar 125 is basically the QB3300s, uh, which, which obviously uh, which mine's got, but they're in the modulator and the output. And uh, yeah, the uh, 125 is the same same valve basically. So yeah, it's the same meters, same probably just different uh, production run or something like that. I should imagine. Sorry, I'm having two conversations at once. There, I've got uh, Dave, uh, which I'm listening to on 147.475, and Lionel's also on 145.3. Um, so to answer the question, no, Lionel, it wasn't used for the 3CP. <laughs> um, the 3CB we used an FM300 or an FM320, a UHF CB set modified so that it was wide bandwidth and that went for Michael's place in, uh, in uh, above the um, Motorola shop in, uh, in Whitehorse Road um, and uh, that went up to uh, Duns Hill, uh, or near, near Duns Hill actually, it was more towards um, a little bit further south of that and uh, where someone was parked with a um, generator borrowed from the... SES 
and I transmitted it had a, a something rather one thousand in it. It was a big, it was a big, powerful transmitter. I can't remember exactly. All the one thousand that um, the, had built. Uh, it was something very. You can't listen while he's talking. It, it used a, um, it used a, an FL twenty one hundred to drive it. <laughs> so it used a few hundred watts to, to drive this thing. But uh, no, the uh, the the. Um, it does sound like it's the same transmitter. I always thought there was another one kicking around, and uh, there you go. That's it. You've you've got the other one, Dave. That's right. It's sort of been in constant use for you know thirty years or something. It was originally purchased by VK3GX, and then he uh, sold it to me via. And I think it got someone else was using it for a while, but uh, I've had it for about thirty years or twenty-five years. Yes, that's all very nice indeed. Um, yeah, well, look, it's all coming out. All these stories everyone used to um, talk about and wonder what was happening, what was the truth and everything. Well, and now it's, it's all uh, all coming out, which is... is yeah, well, Dean used to keep me filled in with some of the games on when Mike and Dean were involved in all the Tutton River Province stuff. Come over to my place sometimes tell me things about it. You see, see, while you guys were very busy with your with your 160 metre transmissions, there was this subculture of other people, of which I was uh, informally attached to, um, doing the same stuff on 27 megs. Different, different age, wasn't it? Mr Ralph, wondering, you remember I had a request, uh, will you have a copy of 3CV or give me a copy of 3CV? Yes, I do remember, Lionel, and I, I'm sure I've got it on reel-to-reel. I mean, I've got boxes and boxes and boxes of reel-to-reel tapes here, and uh, I've still got a reel-to-reel player, so I just have to get the two together and start uh, going through them and, 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 and taking out some material and putting it onto a DVD for you. I will do it, but it, it could be a few months away still yet. Somebody explain to me what this 3CV is, because, but this one sounds like something... Well, well, funnily enough, 3CV was a concept that uh, a number of us came up with to create a radio station. And uh, we, we recorded it at the studios of uh, Dex Electronics in Hawthorne. A uh, Frenchman, who, who, and I think Dex Electronics still runs today, um, more involved in audio hardware than anything else. And I remember the Frenchman, he said, oh, yes, he goes, valves, he goes, uh, I, I saw a transmitter once and I licked my finger <laughs> and I stuck it on what I thought was the grid cap. <laughs> and he goes, that's where I learned the difference between audio amplifiers and transmitters. Oh, that would have been quite painful. Oh, Ralph, would you have a copy of the show that uh, when the Silvers um, <coughs> uh, busted... Uh, Michael's uh, front door down, and uh, there's a couple of uh, there's a bang bangs and things like that. Do you got a copy of the of that show by any chance? Well, I'm not sure that we actually recorded it. The uh, the, the story was there that uh, a week beforehand um, we were doing a show from uh, from Croydon, and uh, Vic and Doug Mc had uh, come along and. Um, and lumbered us, so to speak. I was still inside, I didn't get lumbered at all. But they did take my um, IC227R from my car and uh, said we are taking this uh, into possession for the Crown. So we went and saw uh, Mr Silvers and uh, Mr Pluger and they said, look, we don't really want your radio. We, we want, uh, we want actually, can I say this on the air or not? 
You're, you're saying it. I don't mind. It's, it's, no, it's past right. history. Just, just go ahead. It's past history. Yeah, just go ahead. I mean, there's so many years ago, it doesn't matter. This is, this is really a long time ago. So they said, look, we, we don't really want you, you, Ralph, or, or your friends. We, we actually said, oh, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> so um, so that's what happened. Uh, a weekend or two later, we uh, I set up the, the show, and, uh, and uh, we were playing music to Sometimes Did, and... Um, and uh, David Dull said, "Look, don't be uh, bit, don't be worried about what we what we come with. In fact, we used two metre sideband. I still remember that. We used two metre sideband to liaise with them because they were waiting for us down at Kew Police Station. And um, sure enough, at about uh, eleven o'clock or thereabouts, I can't remember the exact time, uh, they uh, the uh, police breaking squad led by John came into the uh, upstairs flat above the mower shop in." Uh, in Whitehorse Road, and um, they put an axe through the door, which I thought was a little bit odd, but uh, I knew I was expecting it, so it didn't worry me too much. I just went on drinking my champagne and playing <laughs> playing music. <laughs> he decided he'd pick up an unloaded, and it was unloaded, uh, air rifle, and pointed at the door, and that's when they shot him through the door. He's very lucky that he got, only got shot in the leg. He didn't die from that. He just got a bit of lead poisoning in his leg. So I went downstairs and uh, uh, remember, um, remember very clearly, actually, as I was walking downstairs, uh, I had a 38. Both of them had their 38s pointed at my head and they asked me my name and I could feel the cuffs just about to go on and they asked me my name and said, oh, yes, you're okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're on our side. That's good. So the cuffs came away and I got get led outside. And there's Vic Pluger and uh, David Gold's very, very distraught about the fact that uh, someone had been shot over this uh, particular event. So um, my uh, my uh, well Debbie, who's has now been my wife for the last 26 years, she was there as well, and uh, uh, she's upstairs now. She's asleep, but uh, she remembers it very clearly because she hid in the cupboard as soon as there were guns involved. So that's um, that's a that's a, 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 a shortened version of what happened. I have a copy of the cutting of the following day's sun with um, Michael J pointing at the set door and there was a headline of something to the effect of um, police use excessive violence or something. Yeah, also got, I had a cutting too of... Um, yeah, I had a, had a cutting and had a picture of uh, Michael J uh, showing the... Uh, yeah, the hole, the hole in the uh, in the door. Oh, Ralph, yeah, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a little bit of a story. I was listening to it. I was living in Box Hill in those days, and I was listening to the uh, you know to the missions, and uh, they sort of went off. Yeah, fellow up at um, up in oh, I think One Tree Hill or one of those uh, places. I know it was up in the hills. Uh, then all of a sudden, I remember it was, it was Christmas Eve. Um, pouring rain and I had a knock on the uh, shack door. So it was uh, Dave, it was uh, Dave, the one that uh, uh, Jack's uh, as a roving reporter on the show. And he came around and he said, uh, well, damn, he shot. Then he told me the, uh, <laughs> told me the time of the story. So uh, I found out a couple of hours after uh, the show finished or went off here, you know, exactly you know, what exactly happened. but. Uh, uh, then it uh, was on Channel O News in, uh, the next uh, night on Channel, you know, the set, like it's 5 o'clock news or whatever. 
and they were interviewing uh, you know, at the hospital and uh, they showed uh, you know, to the camera you know, the hole in his, uh, you know, in his leg. So I remember that well, but I remember uh, when I think it was David that uh, came around to my uh, shack uh, after uh, you know, the bang bangs uh, back to your roll. Oh, Mr. Ray, can I just take it for a moment? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, at the end of the saga of Kim was telling me this, apparently he was driving his car one day and he swerved to miss, I think it was a kid that ran out on the road and he hit a pole and he became a quadriplegic anyway, he ended up dying of all the complications that um, that caused some years later after that accident there. That's an amazing story. And to think, well, I think my Silver's raid was, uh, was, um, n- was nothing compared to that one. No one got shot. There wasn't even any gun. Actually, put out a uh, false day call. 
and while the, uh, you know, the Coast Guard and the police and SES and whatever went looking for this uh, false uh, hoax, there was a, a real emergency, but of course the, uh, the, the rescue uh, uh, team and all that, well, they were looking for this hoax one. And I think someone, a girl or something, fell off a cliff or drowned or something. But because of the hoax, uh, uh, by the time they realised the hoax and then uh, attended the real emergency, um, the, uh, the girl uh, lost her life. It's truth. <coughs> well, I'd heard a series of these stories through the years. I heard that we got his just desserts, but I didn't have any idea that that was, that was behind it. Call was made. It wasn't that did that. It was done from Ken's car but it was actually another person that, that, uh, that did that. But uh, he was certainly involved, I, there's no question about that. Certainly he was supportive. Oh, yeah. There's another comment, uh, which actually... Uh, and... Um, fellow in your... Um, no. I won't mention his name, but they went out to um, the western... So they went uh, west, probably... Uh, Ballarat or something, where they were able to put a good signal into the Mount William repeater and come up with uh, Ian call sign, which is what. And the other fellow, who I think was uh, the one who uh, lived in uh, Euclid Street, used my call sign, and they were putting, um, either they were stirring up uh, Robert VK's 3AUR and Steve's 3OT. I heard a recording of this, and they were making it that. Uh, um, by accusing uh, Steve's uh, missus of uh, ship, uh, shoplifting and they were accusing um, uh, Robbie of uh, growing uh, marijuana and the fellow who was using uh, Michael's sign was saying, oh yes, I wouldn't mind uh, coming around and uh, get some marijuana and all that sort of business. Because Dave rang me up, oh sorry, uh, Steve rang me up. Uh, it was on a Sunday and uh, you know, because uh, people were thinking, actually, some people actually thought it was me and Ian doing it. And uh, Steve rang me up from Hamilton and I said, well, it's not me. Crikey, you know, I'm, you just got me out of bed. Just on a, on a Sunday morning. And I heard a recording of it, or he sent me a, a copy of the tape. So, uh, but uh, when I heard uh, Ian, sorry, um, when he listened to the voice, I knew that was definitely him. It's definitely him. Couldn't pick his, um, he couldn't mistake it. It was definitely his, um, you know, his voice. So uh, yeah, so they tried to frame me and uh, Ian to go back, uh, back to your off. It's, it's such a shame that the guy was so incredibly talented and meticulous in his constructional activities, but uh, alas, he uh, used it all for the. Uh, he, he moved to the dark side. He, <laughs> he was certainly a smart guy. Um, yeah, where did he work? He worked... Oh, I can't remember now. He worked in electronics design down in, uh, down in one of the Bayside suburbs. But no, I hadn't heard that story before about the, uh, about the, the, uh, the thing. But that's the sort of thing he would do. And he would do that to a lot of different people. He, he would get a lot of different people to strike for the same reason. The story I heard was that he organised the pilfering these were in the press, Dave. That's why I'm asking. 
Yeah, I remember having newspaper clippings of all this stuff. Yeah, I, I've got a clipping of that, that shooting incident. I think I've got it inside somewhere. So, yeah, it was really news. I mean, everyone, uh, a big news sort of thing. And obviously there is more to it than just the uh, broadcast. I mean, they wouldn't, uh, I don't think they'd be shooting someone just for doing a legal broadcast, but uh, there was obviously more into it. Yeah, well, that shooting incident, well, I mean, if you're a copper and suddenly you see a car, sorry, see a gun, uh, you know, poking through a hole in the, uh, you know, in the uh, floor will probably be your natural, you know, uh, reaction. Gee, I'm going I'm to get shot, so you can pick up your 38 or whatever, you've got to go bang. Now, of course, they just taser you. Um, <coughs> yeah, well, it's uh, most interesting. Someone should write a book about that. It'd be like um, Underbelly of the Wireless <laughs> Age or something like that. Could be a TV series. <laughs> a very good one. Yeah, what would you call it? Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, certainly. Uh... Well, the listen, listeners tonight have certainly been uh, greeted with a bit of uh, history. Yeah, that's only part of it, uh, Ralph. We won't we won't uh, talk about the you know, Canberra incident and the Mount Gambier incident, will we, uh, <laughs> Ralph? It's uh, I think um, that's better off uh, air, don't you reckon? Uh, Yes, yes, that one's locked away in the uh, vault forever. But gee, they were good days, weren't they? Mm. Weren't, they? <laughs> weren't they the best? But that's for off air. I just had so much... I mean, I thought I was doing dangerous things playing music on 160 after 1 o'clock in the morning, but apparently it was nothing compared to what was going on. Oh, no, that's right. Especially the... Oh, the McCambry one was a beauty, and the camera one... Uh, yeah, I won't say any more. Involved uh, car chases... Uh, and you uh, over the uh, you know the uh, median uh, strip in the middle. Uh, I won't say any more, but uh, I think you've probably said too much. Anyway, oh, boys, oh, no, that's only small. But we, as I say, uh, it's definitely off-air uh, uh, conversation. Mm. <laughs> Must have had a, a deprived youth, I think, Dave, compared to some of these people. I think I did. Well, just a nerdish youth. Ah. But, but let me just. Clarify one thing if I can, and the, and the subtle difference was, not the difference between what we were doing and what was happening on 160 metres, but the subtle thing, the difference was, it was clean fun, and there was no swearing, not that I can remember, I'm pretty sure there was no swearing, or was there? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm confident there was no swearing, it was purely decent fun, um, that just upset a few people, that's all. Oh yeah, that was swearing. I'm sorry, mm. there was uh, the Canberra one. There was a lot of uh, <laughs> I've got a, uh, a cassette here of Radio Uranus, so uh, I haven't played it for about 50 years, but uh, that might be um, that might be in the historic catalogue. Actually, uh, Dave Uranus. Now that is another chapter in the story. <laughs> uh, so, what do you know about that? I know who's involved with the usual suspects, and I've got a, just a, a recording of it, so, uh, yeah. Well, no, I don't know that one, but... Uh, uh, oh, just going back to that with a promise, uh, Ralph, I'll give it a copy to uh, Dave. Uh, I've got a copy of Hub uh, River Province uh, National and It was, run, was sung by uh, John English. <laughs> OK. I didn't even know he had one. When I left Hutt uh, River and came back to Melbourne to get married in 1983, um, I became uh, the Hutt River Minister for Communications and um, 
and uh, his Melbourne press attaché. Oh, there you go. Well, gee, um, next time I'll uh, see you, I might have to say... Uh, Sorry, I, I keep doubling you with you. I do apologise. It's just because I've got a 100 millisecond delay between when I click my button here and when it actually transmits, because that's how long it takes to get there from the internet. Um, but, uh, you know, Radio Uranus, now, that is, uh, that, is a, that is a very small and very select group of people that would know about that. That was on the FM band, I believe. That's right, yes. It was a quite a, it sounded like quite a pro- professional outfit. I don't know anything about Radio Uranus. Uh, the usual suspects were on air uh, doing it, and I assume they were somewhere out of town and uh, beaming in, and it was uh, well received in in the suburbs. Well, well I did never heard of no, I never heard of it. Yes, I think you'll find that the transmission site was Mount Tulibawong. Oh yes, very very uh, useful site, isn't it? That's oh, a very nice and high. Oh well, I'll dig out the cassette. It was even—it was such an important recording. I even used an expensive chrome metal cassette. <laughs> yes, some some of those uh, recordings were a little bit like that. Um, yes, yes. Well, the people that put that together um, still get up to a little bit of mischief these days. I'm not directly involved with that, but I just know of the people that did that, and um, they've. Um, I believe they still get up to a little bit of mischief from time to time. This is so long ago, surely they're all on walking frames. No, well, are you on a walking frame? Close. But, yes, I think now that the fun's out of it because, A, no-one could care less, B, the FM band and every other band are just pointless, it's full of stuff anyhow, and uh, there's just no, um, no excitement about doing it. Uh, yeah, it's when, when there's the, uh, you know, the possibility of being carted away for a long time, uh, it may adds more, you know, an adrenaline, more of an adrenaline rush doing those sorts of things. You can podcast worldwide on the net now. Why, why would you oh, bother? Things are so different these, uh, you know, yeah. you know, these days. Uh, I remember the excitement, you know, when you're getting uh, chased by uh, uh, you know, a group of uh, very, very, very angry. Yeah, well, I was never in, into the CB world, so um, I'd heard, just heard stories about it and things like that. Mm. My my very first transmitter, Dave, was a pie reporter, and uh, part of your earlier conversation was talking about carbon microphones. Well, my very first radio had um, had uh, a carbon microphone, this pie reporter, and the modulation transformer had failed in it. So um, I, I didn't know where to get a modulation transformer from for a pie reporter. Where would you? So I put a mains transformer in it, wired backwards. And the, and the carbon mic through its bias voltage fed into the 6.3 volt filaments and the uh, 240 volt version became the, the, the side to the plate modulator and uh, all plate became the, uh, was supplied to the plate. And uh, the thing worked beautifully. In fact, everyone commented just on what fantastic AM I had on. So as a result of that, on my first, this is long before CB was even called CB, it was just called 27 megs. I became uh, Modulation 100, and it was that those, those initial experiments that I did with this Pi Reporter that led me to a uh, fascination with communications, and hence my uh, ham license. So there you go. Yeah, quite I have a Pi Reporter on the 53032 AM net. I wonder if that's still around. I haven't heard about it for years, but there used to be an AM net on 6 metres AM 53032, and a lot of people used to use Pi Reporters for that. 
Uh, in fact, I think I've still got it somewhere. Coming through quite well tonight, John. Uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Well, a Kutamain transformer can can work quite well as a uh, an audio transformer. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, oh, Ralph, I was wondering, because it's not in 70 numbers. No, my high reporter days, so I was still living at home, and I was 15 years old, so it would have been 73. Yeah, I went off 27 megs when I was down in, I was in Fentry Gully and uh, I used uh, the name Ken because it was my second name. Uh, someone uh, came up and read my na- name and address, uh, the real name and the address, uh, remember that, and uh, said, oh, what a twit. So that sort of uh, scared me off. Well, in those days, it was uh, it really was a, an illegal activity. You could, uh, we, we all used to be in fear of our identity and so forth. It was long before uh, the commercialisation of, of 18 and, and 23 and ultimately 40 channels. Oh yeah, I mean, um, oh yeah, you had to be real, you know, careful and... Um, you could go away for a long time. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, they meant business in those days, they, uh, the Silvers. I went to a pirate picnic once, that's what it was called. It was run by VRC41, sir, in... Uh, Rodman Street Reservoir, and uh, Dennis was there, um, uh, who now holds a call, I can't just remember what his call sign was, BRC46 was his call sign back then, and they were all members of the KT Club, it was the pi- it was a pirate picnic, and uh, anyone that was involved in, ha- in ham radio, sorry, in 27 megs was invited to go to this thing, and along came Mr Silvers, that's where I first met him, and he just went around the room and he just listen to everyone's voice and he could tell them their name and address he just pointed at each one as soon as they said a few words he would point and say yes I know you your name is such and such and you live it and he got them all correct and we realized just how um, uh, <laughs> what serious trouble we're in but then we said you know we were having it was an amnesty day so we, we had a few beers and a bit of a laugh yeah, Mr. Yeah, actually, Silvers. Uh, actually, Mr. Silvers uh, got, 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 it was quite a I'll tell you what, I remember one time at the uh, EMDRC uh, when they first had their meetings at the uh, Rural Bark uh, uh, Tech School, and uh, we were just, out, just outside, and an um, RI in those days just walked quietly past. Hello, Power Man. Mind you, you'd never, I never saw a run so fast. Just hang on one sec. Did you say that Ken went to? Uh, he did go to um, uh, uh, to Box Hill Tech. It, it, it was, was that the annex in? The, was that the annex? Is that what they called it up the other end? No, 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 no. No, the EMDRC, the Mountain District Radio Club, used to have their meetings at the Maroolbark uh, Tech School, and uh, Eastlake was a member, and that's when uh, it was one Friday night, and. Uh, Gavin just went past and said, uh, hello to the power man, and, uh, and, his, and his mate uh, ran like the Dickens. Oh, I see. <laughs> As you would. Yeah, I remember those meetings. I used to go there too sometimes. Yeah, that was back in the, yeah, that was back in the 70s. Uh, I, don't know how, I don't know how fast a human being can run, but I think, particularly not, uh, he was doing the maximum. That, that must have been in the days of John... Yeah, that was, I don't think I was licensed then, I was, would have been about 1970 or something, I think it was just before I got my licence, it was, probably 
about 1970 or something like that, or if I had my license, well, I haven't had it for long. Bit of history, yes. Yeah, no, I was talking to someone the other day, and um, they said they think they went to, um, they said they think they went to uh, TAFE College with, um, and uh, they wondered whether it might have been the same one, and, he, and they were talking about it being up at um, the uh, Box Hill Tech at the Annex, which is um, on Watts Street corner. I'm going from memory here. I'm not sure whether that's correct or not. Uh, Watt Street, W-A-T-T Street and, and Marinda Highway or something? Yeah, they did have a, they did have an annex there. Uh, yeah, it was uh, very, very intelligent, very, very technical. Um, he could have done, he could have done very well with his life, but uh, unfortunately he used it uh, in evil ways. Yes. Yes, indeed he did. He was definitely on the dark side, but there'd be no doubt. All right, guys, I I, uh, I just noticed the time, so although I've enjoyed this conversation immensely, I, I'm mindful of the fact that I've sort of uh, broken into your conversation, uh, oh, no. so I do apologise. Oh, no, you've been most interesting. I think uh, the listener tonight got a special um, little view into the, the world of the, um, the dark side of... Uh, Pirate Radio back in the 70s in Melbourne. Certainly very interesting from my point of view. This is I've mm. seen it in the newspapers. I wasn't ever involved with those groups, so I only sort of observed it from a distance. It's interesting to hear the details after 30 years. That's exactly right, yeah. Quite oh, yeah, Ralph was in, involved, I was involved in a small way, so uh, there you go. Uh, we're revealing the dark side. The dark side. Well, it's m- most interesting indeed. So it certainly uh, makes what we did on 160 metres seem like child's play by comparison. If you've got a typewriter there, a word processor, starts writing your book. In fact, uh, people can write a transcript and we'll read them out over the air and uh, the winner will uh, will publish it. Then he'll get banned in the state of Victoria, but they'll be able to publish it elsewhere. That's right. Well, that's yes. too, yeah. Banned in Victoria. Mm. Well, I've got one question to ask, and, and you guys will know the answer to this. There was a, a licensed amateur, he's still licensed today, and he lives down south somewhere, and he used to work at 3XY, and he was involved with the two recordings. Who am I talking about? Because I can't remember his name. Graham something or other, I think he was. Graham? Could be. I'd know it if you said it. I'd know it if you said it, but he definitely was a, uh, uh, from the technical side, um, technician of some description at... 3XY in the days when it went to air, which I can't remember. Uh, of course, I didn't finish the story before. Uh, we, we recorded it at 3CB, and uh, we were just ready to put it to air, and U2 came out, and it just blew us out of the water. I mean, it was, they had much better production values and much, much greater comedy, and we were, we were very disappointed about that their, that their work was so much better than ours. Well, according to... According to David Gold, <laughs> it was quite a tape that one. I actually heard it broadcast for the first time. I was round at some. There it was. So we heard the whole thing. Oh yeah, it was it was brilliantly done, brilliantly done, and they had all the production facilities that we uh, that we didn't. So um, yes, that's right. Father Rodney Chapman. Tandy, sir. Tandy's Cathedral. <laughs> yes, Tandy's Cathedral. And search Oliver. I want the plate. I want the plate. Oh yeah, I've got I've got recordings of that. I think I've given copies to go quite around. Actually, came off uh, the tape originally. 
Yeah, well, so, uh, you probably remember Ralph. He wasn't, he wasn't very nice either, was he? Well, I only ever met the guy twice, but I, I think he filed. And uh, uh, not that I know from personal experience or anything, but so would have said. And uh, I believe he pulled a gun on some tourist on Mount Dandenong. That's how I remember the story being told. I mean, he went to jail as a result of it. That's surprising, my goodness. <laughs> my God. Uh, does anybody know who Dad and Dave were on the two tape? I've always wondered. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, d uh, one of them was uh, the same guy's blue leader. Uh, lived in next to the police station in Paran. I'll think of his name in a moment. Someone will know. I used to hear him very strongly when I lived just south of Camberwell Junction. You'd hear him talking about people going out at night with... He works for the department. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, dear. I think he's the one who gives out the blueies, not the one who receives them. OK, well, maybe I've got the right name incorrect. No, it was, um... Was his call sign blue leader, Dave, Dad and Dave? Yeah, look, I, I d definitely remember who you're talking about. That was the guy that uh, lived off a little street off of, at the back of the um, Paran Town Hall uh, in... Gertrude Street or something like that in Paran. Yeah, that probably fits. I, I was getting. I used to get them very, very strongly, and I was told that the two tape was broadcast from Mount Dandenong. I wasn't quite sure whether that that was the truth, but I think it was broadcast on a series of occasions over about a three-week period. Well, its first broadcast uh, and the primary broadcast, uh, I understand, was done from two locations. One was Pentland Hills and the other one is I don't know and that's what I'd like to find out because I don't know the people that put it together I don't know who it is other than this one uh, person from 3XY the 3CB one which, which eventually went to air I believe a week after um, was put was prom promoted around Melbourne with one of the with, with the big 100 watt transmitter the evil, wicked, mean and nasty, that's what we used to call the uh, the big, uh, um, the one that you've got there, Dave, on 160 metres. We promoted it with that, and we put it in a chip truck with a diesel generator and drove around Melbourne, and we'd get to a top of a hill and we'd stick up a 5.8 ground plane on the back of it, and we'd run, you know, 100 and something watts, whatever it was, broadcast, announced that the recorded that the, the show was coming, tune in tonight, and all that sort of thing. It was actually put to air from, um, from Mount Dandenong. We just ran the whole show from there uh, with, with this other transmitter, which was, uh, you know, a kilowatt or something, rather. It was big. I remember the diesel generator was enormous. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, you can get to... <laughs> those, oh, those, big, those big transmitters, as impressive as they are, they really... You know, now you just get a box of FETs and uh, run the same sort of power off a car battery and you wouldn't have to worry about all that uh, a tip truck. Um, yeah. yeah. A tip truck wouldn't be a bad idea. Ralph, uh, there was an article in uh, some time. The original it was transmitted from uh, Mount Disappointment. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's next to the Pentland Hills. We used to do a lot of transmissions from uh, from Mount Disappointment. Fantastic location. Oh, yeah. I had a. Uh, I bought this from Ham Radio too. A pair of hundred THs. Do you remember the hundred TH? Hundred TH. So on quite a few things. Yeah, 
rather difficult to modulate because they have a very high plate impedance. Um, yeah, well, I didn't run them. I ran them at a, as a as grounded grid uh, class B, probably. Um, and uh, I used to run them so with so much power that the anodes would drip. The anodes would drip three and a half kV, which is way over the plate voltage recommended. And uh, I never knew how much power it was putting out. I have absolutely no idea. But because uh, I didn't have a power meter that could go that high. But I know that I could only run them for half an hour. And then I had to get these great big gardening, my dad's gardening gloves out, wait for the thing to, to power down and get cool. And then I'd pull the valves out and put another pair in. Because they're only like $3 each or something like that, which was a fair bit of pocket money back in those days. But I bought that linear amplifier in a partially constructed form from Ham Radio when they were in um, in High in uh, Hyatt Street. Is that the one? And uh, turned that to a turned that into great use. What a marvellous thing! I've still got a 100 th left here. Old Snowy would not have approved of that. He would have said, "Now look here, lad. Take some advice from someone who knows." Yeah. Both those versions of the 6 metre FM stereo emitters had uh, 100 THs in the final for it, two of them. Oh, uh, for Dave, Mount Dispon is a little bit uh, west of north of Melbourne. Well, Michael sent me uh, tapes on the MP3 file if anyone wants them. Oh, I've got that, uh, no problems. If anyone wants to copy the uh, MP3 file, if you uh, yeah, yeah, let me know. I, I even got it on the uh, computer. Please send me one, uh, Lionel. I'll uh, put it on a. Uh, I'll give you. I'll put it on the CD. It's a bit. Uh, it's fairly big to uh, send. Okay, fellas, I'm going to have to head head off. Thanks for a very interesting evening. Certainly illuminating on the dark side. Bloody hell. <coughs> okay, Chris. We'll see you next time. Yeah, I'll catch up with you later, uh, uh, Chris. I'll talk to you. Actually, next time I'll catch up with you on Skype. I got an interesting gossip to tell you about my cousin too in uh, Scotland. Who's a bit of an old woman, but, uh, but uh, I'll. Uh, I'll catch up with you anyway. Um, yeah, well, that was great that you came up. Uh, 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 Ralph, it sort of brings back uh, memory, and because uh, Dave now uh, realise uh, you know, about the dark side of uh, of, of radio. So uh, yeah, I don't think you were involved with the uh, Matt Gambier incident, were you, uh, Ralph? I don't think. Yeah, you weren't there at the time. That was at the uh, uh, was the Queen's birthday. Uh, Weekend and uh, um, the uh, the guys from the Geelong Amateur Radio Club uh, had a lot of there's a lot of big stirs there. I tell you, I was involved. Um, one fella got locked up uh, for the weekend. So, uh, but I don't think you were involved with that one, uh, Ralph. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. Um, yeah, <laughs> seemed to be involved in a few of them, but I certainly wasn't involved in that one, or all of them for that matter. Which, which reminds me, the reason I butt in originally was to tell you about what Gary do, and I can tell you this because Gary uh, doesn't have a call anymore, so he's not active in radio, um, and, and now he's, he's uh, I think he does security cameras or something. But back in the days he worked for L&M Electrics, the people that did the fit-outs of uh, flag motels and all that sort of thing. So Gary had access to all those uh, masthead amplifiers and distribution amplifiers. So he took uh, a black and white camera, uh, as they all were back then, plugged it into a um, uh, the, the, the RF out, fed that into a, uh, a distribution amplifier, the output of that into another one. He had about three of them in series. 
into a, a Channel 3 um, antenna from the country area and I had an antenna at my place which was in uh, um, basically at the top of Whitehorse Road near the Whitehorse and Bourne Road corner where I lived and, uh, and lo and behold we could, uh, <laughs> we could see a picture of each other and um, <laughs> you aware what happened after that Lionel because one of, <laughs> one of his friends um, I can't remember his real name, but we, everyone called him <laughs> after this incident. He saw the camera and he did something, <laughs> and apparently the neighbours up and down the street <laughs> came to Gary and said, what is this? <laughs> this is disgraceful what you're doing, because there's a little bit of spurry eye, a little bit of the amplifiers taking off, and he was getting into all the neighbours' TVs as well. So it did his, uh, did his thing. Um, uh, <laughs> The old blogger flat saw it. It is a family show, please. Oh, what if, oh, that's a, I, I did, yeah, but I didn't know about that one. But I'll tell you what. Uh, um, uh, well, fellow who lived in the street, it was a bit of a story. He had 27 megs, and there was one time. Oh, remember the uh, Pope? It uh, didn't last very long. He uh, he died, and they were uh, televising, um, you know, the funeral. Well, uh, this uh, this uh, bunny, bright bunny, he played the last post on 27 megs, and that got all of the neighbours' uh, TV set, the uh, the, you know, the audio, and apparently uh, there was a lynch mob uh, out after him. But don't really knew that one, uh, Ralph. Go ahead. No, I didn't know that one. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I recognised your street. Yeah, that's um, like Wattle Park or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Not far. It's off, it's off Elgar Road. And, uh, yeah. I mean, well, it's probably more like... And, uh, yeah, it's past Wattle... We go past Wattle Park, heading towards uh, Burwood Highway, and it's just... Uh, well, between Wattle Park and uh, Burwood Highway. Ah, yes, yes. You will see... There was really two camps of activity back in those days. There was the Gary camp, not the Gary, you know, there was that group, perhaps the better choice of words. There was Gary's group, the group, and then there was that group. And um, there were a number of people that sort of floated between the two, wherever the action was, <laughs> wherever the fun seemed to be at that time. So, generally speaking, I drifted towards the Gary's, uh, Gary's group, we had a lot of fun with uh, DFing and fox hunts, and uh, and I really enjoyed all of that sort of stuff, and uh, and and less and less of the of the of the of the kind of things which uh, tended to live, get a little bit um, uh, more um, less civilized, let's say, yeah, far less civilized, and and of course because I lived sort of further away from Blackburn and uh, and Box Hill, etc. Um, I was more towards the Gary side of things, so I think you were right in the middle of where, was that, was that, is that Broham Street, is that where you lived back in those days? Broham, is that right? That's right, yeah, Broham Street, so I was right in the middle of the actions. Uh, I, just uh, briefly to, there was one time there, I really upset, uh, uh, when they were preparing a location, or working at a location to put the remote uh, emitters, uh, they were sort of saying, in, well, basically in code. You know, you can get up, hang on, I'll just turn this down. That's better. Um, 
it's sort of like disguising the directions. They say, you got this road, Sammy, and I had the railways in front of me, and I knew exactly where they were going, and I popped up. They were doing this on two metres, because you had a uh, dedicated channel on two metres. I can't remember what frequency. Um, and I sort of popped up, and I said, yeah, G'day, boys, you're going to uh, gonna put a show on tonight, are you? And uh, Gary told me later on, he said, I was very lucky, because uh, that, that particular day, well, when he heard me, it was ropeable, and he said, you're very lucky you didn't get... Oh, really? Oh, gee. <laughs> we were really mean back in those days, weren't we? 147.925 was the frequency. Yeah. Lionel, do you remember that? 147.925. Boy, it was a plagued by pager interference. It was a shocker. But it, it served its purpose. Uh, yes, I remember that. Uh, now I remember that uh, uh, clear as anything. Uh, I remember 147.925 or 975. Yeah, I remember. Question for Dave. Um, uh, are we going out on 160 tonight? Yes, going out on uh, 160, 80 and 2 metres. Oh, really? So, so a question for you. How often do you run um, live broadcasts? like this? Uh, well, most Saturday nights, if there's people around, there's usually something on, and I normally have a, just a pre-recorded, uh, just a you know, replays on Wednesday nights, so uh, uh, 10.30, so yeah, so mostly Saturday nights is live. Saturday night live, well, tonight's the first time I've actually been able to find out what your callback frequency is, because uh, I've been wanting to speak to you, and uh, and and uh, and and let you know of an idea that I've had for quite some time. My idea is something like this. I've got this um, this idea for running some wide bandwidth FM, um, you, know, to, you know, 100 kilohertz wide bandwidth sort of stuff, so some hi-fi uh, stuff. There's a frequency on UHF that can be used. There's a, there's a segment that is currently not used for any repeater links. It, uh, it's wide enough. And uh, so th there is a way of conforming to band plan. And my idea is to put the transmitter in the car. I've got a, it runs about um, half a watt. Uh, it, uh, I, I, I have, uh, it, it's basically a signal generator, a crystal, you know, a, 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 an oven-controlled crystal uh, uh, signal gen, an old Marconi signal gen, uh, fed with a, uh, a natty... CL5000 compressor limiter and an equaliser, 31 band graphic, and a wireless mic. And I've had this vision of going out to various hams, places, of, uh, and, and going in there with a wireless mic on 800 megs, which has a range of a few hundred metres, and uh, doing some live interviews and then sending it back to you with, with high high bandwidth. Have you, have you ever done anything like that or would you be interested in some experiments along those lines? I suppose it would be quite interesting. The only problem is um, receiving it in high quality. Oh yes. Well that would assume that you have, yeah, yeah that's a, that's a thing because you need to have a wide bandwidth receiver on 420 megs. There's a spot on about 426 that's still allocated to the band in Australia and uh, it, it uh, yeah but you'd need a an FM receiver that is wide bandwidth. True, good. But both are 420 to 430s uh, taboo, uh, except for a small, uh, small section, because otherwise, 
taken up by the police now, for the, the police digital. Yeah, but there's two allocations that are still available, and although one of them has a link on it, the other one doesn't, and it's um, it's it's half a meg wide, I think. It's it's 300 kilohertz wide or 400 kilohertz wide. It's enough. Let's put it that way. Now, interesting about the wide bandwidth. Now, do you really need wide bandwidth for high fidelity? Now, you're talking about 800 meg radio mics, which I've got a few here. They're only uh, 15 kc deviation, and the quality is excellent. Uh, yes, you don't necessarily need such a wide bandwidth for uh, high fidelity. Well, that's a good point, but you still need a wide bandwidth receiver wider than 5 kc, presumably. Oh, yes, you would. Boost an 800 meg wireless mic. I was trying to be legal. I've got an, a nice uh, booster for the 200 and, uh, 201 meg uh, old radio mic systems, which is quite good. Or you could just go via the internet. Send data down that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The internet sort of works, doesn't it? I just had this vision that there must be a lot of other people like Ralph, like me, that would be worth interviewing, that uh, you've really got to take the microphone to them. Uh, it would be a classic example. He'd be, he'd be fascinating to interview and, uh, and bring to life on one of your broadcasts. But, but you know, he doesn't play radios anymore, so you'd have to... You'd have to take the transmitter to to the mountain, so to speak. Um, I think he's got rid I think he's sold it. Got rid of all his. The other thing is, people can come on via Skype. Uh, there's a lot of options there. Yes, yes, uh, you, you make a good point. Yes, well, maybe you don't need wireless mics after all. Um, or pick it up on a on a on a telly. Well, that's the other thing. Pick it up on a telly. Uh, the tellys cover that frequency. But then you need uh, the, um, the the vision carrier as well for it to work. How would you go if you had a, uh, one of these professional wireless mics, even the ones that might be on <coughs> 800 megs, which should be uh, legal for what it's designed for, and have it sort of going to a car or something that's got uh, you know, linked up to a uh, 70 centimetre radio, perhaps even with a uh, beam pointing towards uh, Dave or something like a, an outside Well, well that's process. what basically what he was, he was advocating, except the, the UHF beam uh, link part of it being a, a wide band with high fidelity link. Um, those There's quite a lot of scanners around that will, will, will decode wide bandwidth uh, on just about any frequency you like. True, they could use one of those. The audio systems in them is usually pretty house. Oh, um, you'd have to tap direct in and then put in a proper DM you would. for um, whatever, but that's not too hard to do. I mean, I've got a few scanners like mm. that which you could do that with. Oh, you, you could do that. Um, the other thing, as I was saying, is it necessary? Actually, the good 800 meg radio mics go a long way. Um, you can probably get a kilometre out of a good set. So that's just stock standard, good diversity ones. Yeah, the ones that I've got are um, little Sony ones, which I use with my camera. And uh, I've got a pair of them, as in a tran two transmitters and two receivers. And I remember they were about $1,500 a pair. And uh, they are tunable from like uh, 600 megs to 800 megs. There's, 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 there's quite a range on them. And uh, I've never not been able to, to get them to work. I, I did a shot once where a guy was on a pier um, right around the other side of Sydney Harbour. It was, well, not Sydney Harbour, it was a bay. It was a bay in, uh, in like Manly or Coogee or something like that but he was out of sight and I could still hear him, it was amazing, it must have been a kilometre over water at least oh Yes, they go a long way, I've got some uh, Sennheiser ones that come, you know uh, 
Oh, they cover about, God, an incredible number of channels. Just tune where you want. Although I've never found uh, interference in the channels I want to use. Yeah, well, I mean, see, some of these, um, you know, the wires, uh, you know, headphones, you can get, you know, from Dick Smith and all that, where they've actually had them on uh, 435 megs. Uh, they've been known to uh, interfere with a 70cm repeater over uh, 20 miles. You can put those um, wireless mics in a corner reflector and uh, increase the range <laughs> 20-fold. Um, which works quite well. Um, the Sony ones they used to have on the back of the Betacam uh, SP cameras, they used to go from one, from one end of the city to the other. They just used to go and go. The quality wasn't that good off them. I mean, they were fine, but if you listen carefully, there was a bit of compounding, uh, you know, compression, expansion, distortion, but they used to just go for miles. Um, so I think about uh, 50 or 100 milliwatt yeah, units. Phones themselves would, well, the receivers in those were deaf as a post, so you, you wouldn't get more than a couple of hundred uh, metres uh, on the headphones themselves, but they, were, uh, they certainly were capable of interfering with a, with a sense of receivers uh, up to 20 miles. Um, yeah. That's why some of the repeaters had to change their uh, input, uh, or the, you know, change their frequencies to get, a, to get out of the LIPD uh, uh, band. Yeah, they could have just put... Um um, CCTS on their things and whatever. Yes, anyway, look, it's a great idea, Ralph, but I think uh, technology as such, if you wanted to do that sort of thing, there's uh, easier ways of doing it. Yes, well, it was, it was, the, the, uh, the, it was, it was purely a means to get it uh, uh, to, to, uh, to, to an end sort of thing. And I just, I just had this vision that there would be other people that I would know that, uh, that might not be aware of the missions uh, uh, every Wednesdays and Saturday, so um, so uh, so uh, the idea really was to get the microphone to them. But you're right; you're absolutely correct. There are there are more elegant ways of getting microphones to people, such as the way that I'm using, because most people wouldn't be aware that this microphone comes through the internet. So uh, it can be done. Which reminds me, I must give you some of my tapes to play. <laughs> They may need a little bit of editing first. If you had uh, a wireless uh, broadband network, you'd just walk into someone's place with a laptop and <laughs> and broadcast them across the internet like that. So, yeah. It's, uh... and, and do you mind? I, I sent you an email about three or four months ago, but I didn't get a reply to it, so you probably didn't get it. Could you tell me how you've got your audio system set up? I've seen your pictures on your website, and uh, but, but could you just quickly give me a block diagram verbally from microphone to uh, to transmitter? Well, basically, uh, microphone goes into the mixer, which I've got a, an old ABC Chilton 20-channel mixer, which is pretty hopeless, so I've got another little outboard, well, not that little Yamaha mixer, an MG16. Anyway, that's the mixer area. The mixer goes into uh, the patch panel and comes out of the patch panel, goes via, if it's the way it's normally normalised, goes into the Audimax, then the Audimax goes to a Volumax, then um, a distribution amp to the uh, various um, transmitters. So that's uh, how it's all set up normally. So, so Audimax and Volumax, uh, one is a, a presumably a peak limiter and the other is, is what? Uh, the Audimax is like a gated AGC thing, which has... Um, 
a, a range about plus or minus 20 dB. So it's just like a, someone, an operator on the, on the panel varying the level. So if you stop talking, it doesn't rush up the gain. It just sits there and it's got a logic circuit built into it depending whether it'll compress it'll compress or expand basically depending on what the information going into it so you know the design for music and classical music so if it's the music stops you don't hear the gain rush up and but overall they, they control the level and the volume act is basically a peak limiter which isn't peaking very much to turn it up a bit more there it's a peak limiter i've also i can patch through um i've got an old uh older style audio max with the new vista in it three-band limiter and a big one plus a few others which can be patched into service but normally it's the Audimax Volumax is the way it goes. So and your microphone is? Uh, a Behringer C2 or something I think it is. B2. It's a, it's a, it's a poor man's look-alike Neumann. Yep, yep, yep. No, the one. I've got a... Yeah, I think I've got a... I haven't got it here in front of me at the moment. It's at work, but I think I've got a B1 or B2 or something rather. Or is, or is that something to do with bananas? Look for the for the price. They're a very good mic and look very impressive too. I'll go clear at this stage. I'll be listening. Okay, Lionel. We'll see you later uh, on. Good to catch up with you, uh, uh, Ralph. We'll have to get together over a beer or something. So uh, I'll say uh, cheers and I'll see you uh, next Sunday at uh, Ballarat. So. Uh, and I'll uh, say uh, morning to you too, uh, Ralph. Uh, okay, Claire, but we'll be listening. Yes. Morning, uh, 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 Lionel. Take it easy. Talk to you soon. Yes, so, uh, yes, that's, that's a, a Behringer do make some good things. I don't know if they last that long, but they're certainly good value for money. Yeah, and, and do you have any pictures of the transmitter, uh, the 160-metre transmitter? I, I would be... I would be... I would love to see a picture of one of those, uh, those units again. I would love to... I think I have some photos on uh, Flickr, um, which I put up a couple of years ago. I haven't really worried much about Flickr. I'm just messing around with it. Ah, yes, there's pictures of the booth. If you just go to Flickr and type in VK3ASE, there's pictures of the booth, pictures of the mitters. Roger, stand by. Let me try. You'll be able to see the old mitters there. They don't put out that much power, really, 120 watts or something like that. But they're designed to work uh, 50, hour, 50 million hours a day. So it's been a big night of missions. I'll just check the email in case someone's uh, emailed us. Lots of interesting program content. Being most, most good indeed. Well, well, I see the picture here, and that's definitely it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's definitely it. I think the version that I had was slightly different to that. looked fractionally more modern, although it's hard to tell with the colouring there. So it might be the same. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's it. And those, uh, yes, those globes. I I found a source of those globes. They were, oh, they were really long, thin things with a plastic insulator and a little strip on each side. And maybe they were 48 volt globes or something. Rather, they were um, they were hard to find. But I found a place that sold them. I was able to replace all of my globes. I was very lucky. Oh, yes, they're telecom, um, <laughs> telephone exchange, you know, globes. I've got a couple of boxes of them, although uh, I've changed a few over to uh, LEDs and a resistor, which seems to last a bit longer. Because those bulbs, even at, I think it's only, uh, they don't seem to last that long. I remember going... Some of them were carbon filament, too. 
you're talking about telephone exchange globes, I remember a lot of the VU meters in the older three years that mixers had um, those globes in them. Oh, yeah. And uh, you could get them in carbon filament. Well, why would they do that? I don't know, but they, they did actually have them in that. Yeah, I remember seeing some uh, installations in the telecom areas where they had, you know, walls and walls of those bulbs, and even when you stood in front of them, it was like standing in front of radiators, just the, the heat radio, radiating off them. And uh, one person's job was just continuously changing the bulbies. And, of course, you put them in the wrong way, you short out the 48 volts and pop your fuse. Yes, that's right. So I'm assuming that the, just looking at the transmitter from the front, the RF uh, output stage is on the right-hand side. Uh, Low-level RF is at the top on the left-hand side. There's sort of one... one deck, one sort of little chassis with the, basically from the crystal um, multiplier. Does it have a multiplier? I can't remember now. It probably wouldn't have a multiplier, would it? Um, and then down the bottom of that side is where the modulation transformer is. It's like, uh, uh, it's probably not this big, but it seemed to me like a foot by a foot by a foot. It seemed to be a great big cube, although it was probably only about 10 or, 10 or 11 inches Yes, it's about something like that. Yeah, that, that's exactly the right thing. Yeah. How many of those meters were made? Um, I've got the handbook for it. I think it's quite a, the serial number is quite high. That would have been an all the NDB. In fact, there was a, a broadcast transmitter that looked the same. It was a uh, 200 watt or 100 watt, depending what uh, you put into it, a broadcast transmitter that was built along the same lines and looks almost the same, but it had a bigger transformer. Um do you know anyone else that's, that's got one? Because I re, I'm sure that there were four of them down there, and as I say, I bought three, and there was there was another one. So you must have got the last one, or maybe you bought this one first before the other. Yeah, I think there's only one there. Uh, I remember going into Ham Radio Supplies with uh, Lindsay, and he saw it and thought, wow, you know, and uh, he um, he went ahead and bought it. I don't know how he got it back, but, uh, yeah, it was really quite uh, quite fascinating. It's been very reliable. In fact, uh, I think oh, a year ago I, there was a bit of distortion leaking into it, so I checked one of the mod tubes was down a bit, and I fixed that up. And I think it's still. Does, does yours have a big? Um, does yours have a big uh, dummy load resistor at the back, across the middle? It does. Yes. Yes, a, a resistor. That's right. So you can test on that. Yeah, in like a sort of a little caged sort of thing. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's the same one. Same one. It just looks a lot yellower in your photo. The the one that I have was was far more aqua, bluey sort of colour. That photo they were taken some time back with a cheap. Well, not wasn't cheap at the time, but a, a one megapixel camera that was a state of the art digital camera then. But of course now the pictures will be a lot better in tungsten light. So that's just the colour balance is wrong in that photo. So I wouldn't worry. Don't you worry about that, as they say about the photos. One day, when you get a chance, I would dearly, dearly, dearly love to see the inside of one of these things again. Uh, that just really, really takes me back. The, the, these things are just the most marvellous, marvellous device. Oh, well, any time you want to drop in, you can do that. You can always give us a tings on the 160-metre listener feedback line. Yes, um, I'll have to do that sometime soon for that rack. And yes, yes. If I'm around, drop in. Yeah, it'll be fine. Michael introduced my wife to the concept of tings oh. and still to this day my wife gives tings to everyone and she still refers to it as being giving tings.
Is that right? <laughs> yeah, and, she, and, and only just recently I, I explained, well, it's because of the 160 metre thing. She had no idea what I was talking about. But, uh, yep, she's still... In fact, tonight Michael rang me when I was on Skype a little bit earlier, and he, he rang, and, and Debbie goes, oh, Michael's giving tings. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so Michael's still around. I haven't spoken to him for yeah. a few years, but I, I used to talk to him quite a well, well, he was in the U.S. for a little while, and since he came back, I think he's sort of been helping to rebuild the business. And, and now that the business is starting to build and has, uh, is, is sort of back on its feet again, I think he's... Um, uh, I'm trying to insist... He's got a scanner. He's got a scanner at home, but uh, and he's in a great RF location, as you know where he is. But uh, I just can't get him enthused enough to, um, to, to buy a radio. So I've given him access to to dial in and connect to this radio here but unfortunately we can't, both can't use it at once it's one or the other but uh, look i suppose when you've just done so much radio in your youth you may, some people just don't want to do it anymore well yes that's 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 what i suffered from i haven't been playing radio for for 10 years and i've only just sort of gotten back into it in the last few months so there you go i'm i'm a i'm i'm living example of that. Yeah, well, that happened to me a bit. I mean, when I was working in places like Channel 9 and Channel 7 and whatever, you'd be doing it all day and you'd come home and there'd be all this equipment there. You just wouldn't even feel like looking at it because you'd been doing it all day. You know, John, you're, you're absolutely correct, although the difference is I never worked in it professionally. So, uh, um, so, so it was different for me, you know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. But here in my case, you know, if, if you've been working, and, and often you do a long shift in these uh, t radio and TV stations or whatever, and I uh, don't know where that feed is coming from, but anyway. Um, so it would just be like doing, you know, you've already done 16 hours of it, say, during the daytime at your job, uh, to come home and do more. It's just like doing more work. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. John, I don't know your call sign, I'm sorry. Could, could you fill me in? Oh. Yes, e sorry. Of course, the egg. Yes, yes, yes. No, sorry. I now I know who you are. I just didn't. Uh, I didn't connect your voice. I'm sorry. Oh, fair enough. Yes. Well, I've been around for many, 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 many years. Since uh, I think I've been licensed since '73. Uh, yeah, that's right. So yes, it goes back a long way. Yeah, you you guys all got your licenses just a little bit before me. Um, I think, uh, although I was playing radios in '73. I didn't actually ever get my license, I think, till 77. I'm pretty sure it was 77. Certainly it wasn't multiple choice. I, I, uh, <laughs> my license was not a multiple choice license. I actually had to draw a block diagram uh, or, or a circuit diagram or, you know, with the aid of a block diagram, describe the dot, 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 dot. Yeah, that's ah, yes. the sort of exam I had with the broadcast ops. It was like that too. Yes, we really did the real exam. Even later broadcast ops have started having multi-choice components for them before they stopped having them. Oh, I'm, I'm, I never went and got my broadcast ops, that's for sure. But, uh, but uh, I did get my marine operator certificate of proficiency. That was a laugh. I think I had to describe how a hydrometer works. Hydrometer, eh? Hmm. The electrical paper where they had things about uh, oh, batteries, phase, yes. batteries and you had to do the chemical reaction of the PB and the PBO2. No, that wouldn't work too well. That's right. And yes, all that. Yes, it's just many, many years ago now, though, isn't it? So you're going to uh, Ballarat, uh, John? I'm hoping to, as long as I don't get uh, 
part uh, E of the flu that just came back oh, from this weekend. No. I mean, I had a hold of things planned for this weekend. Oh. I, I thought I'd got over it, but uh, I really think they should uh, bring in quarantining for people that fly by aeroplane. I mean, they get their buzz of flying at 600 miles an hour, so if they had a luxury hotel for them to stay in for three weeks before they mix with the public, because... Uh, Back when I was in primary school, and it was only rich people who flew quickly across from one side of the world to the other. You didn't have these long, protracted yeah. flus. You, you had the normal cold that just came and everything. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It makes great people in that with it as some kind of... Um, Fly spray. Yeah, that's right. right. In the airplane. It was in the airplane, except it was... Before you got out. Yeah, that's right. And, and it was... Walk down the middle of the plane with two cans of fly spray and spray everyone yeah. before you're allowed to get up and get out. Yeah. I don't think it would have done a great deal to get rid of diseases. Because when I went to Japan in 1968, they mm. had that. Yeah, but, uh, that was the idea. Back then, you didn't have the masses of people moving around the world it's the way the you do It's the masses now. moving around. That's what's causing and it all. so now we get these big, long, protracted colds, whereas back then, when I was in primary school or whatever, you get a cold for a few days, and when it was better, you were better. It didn't sort of linger and then oh. flare up again in two weeks' time, and then you think, oh, I'll be right now, and you're going to do something, and so on. Oh, yes, it's all caused by the masses having their freedom. Yeah, anyway, Ralph, it's been most interesting, a little discussion. Come on more. I hope you've uh, got some more interest in, uh, in doing wireless if you haven't just got back to it in the last uh, few months. Well, look at the time. Sorry, I keep hitting the transmit button mm. and uh, once I hit transmit then I can't hear you anymore, oh. so I'll have to uh, in- install a way of doing that. Yes, thank you very much for uh, letting me butt in again uh, 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 guys. I appreciate that and uh, I'm, I'm confident you will hear more of me as we as we move forward. My next project is to improve my um, audio setup at this end and uh, I've ordered a new microphone and uh, I wanted to buy that locally but unfortunately the one I wanted was not available so I've ordered that from the US and uh, when that arrives I'll be able to hook it up to my mixer and uh, plug it into my uh, wireless uh, directly and improve my quality. But for now I'd like to uh, Wish you all the very best of the evening. May your news be good news and... Yeah, OK, good night, Ralph. Very good to catch up with you. We'll speak to you later on. We'll look at the time. I think we might... Oh, yes, I think you remember that now. But, yes, OK, good on all that. And I hope we'll catch up again one day soon. Thanks, John. And, uh, and, uh, and guys, uh, and, uh, and Dave as well. OK. Uh, next week uh, we'll be going to Ballarat, so it'll probably just be recordings maybe instead of the live missions, but we'll see what happens. And... Yeah, because I'm thinking to go the night before. Yeah, so I'll, I'm going to drive up and do field strength tests on the way up. So you're going to go there at night? Oh, I always go places at night, never yeah. travel in the day. Yeah, because uh, Anthony and I were trying to work out where where all of us could sleep that tree. We're still in the planning. I mean, we might be able to work out something for three people that might actually make it cheaper per person. But not to worry. We'll all get there at Ballarat and have a good time. And should be all to the good. Hopefully it'll be as good as last year when I got all that junk. There's some good junk to get that's relevant to the uh, missions. ongoing missions that I'm oh, trying yes. to get going now because um, I'm mainly tr- going to try and get bits that are relevant to the uh, the various things I'm trying to get going now I've got the Scooty H. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, I'm sure you've, uh, you might be able to find something because it's not at the Walsh yet this, this time. I have to find out, uh, look on the map, see where it is. Yeah, well, Anthony printed out a, uh, um, a map of where it actually is that he gave me a copy of. So if you talk to him in the meantime, um, there's probably a thing on the net anyway, but uh, he managed to get it from somewhere, probably the WIA or somewhere. Oh, OK, good. 
Okay, well, we'll um, we'll speak to you in Ballarat, if not beforehand, and uh, we'll say morning for now. Right, morning.